The face of the imperious queen was covered in white makeup, pockmarked by the smallpox that she'd contracted earlier in life. At age 70, she appeared ghostly and severe, with only a few teeth left in her mouth so that her speech was difficult to understand. Her extravagant wigs, collars, ruffs, and the great jewels in her hair gave the impression of a grand old woman who could tell that the end was near. But she had survived. She had survived her father. She had survived her sister and her brother, and numerous other plots on her life. She was never meant to be queen, and yet here she was. And by the end of her reign, they called her Gloriana, the personification of Britannia, the fairy queen, the first Elizabeth, the one who brought on the Elizabethan age. So Queen Elizabeth I, and we're currently living in the reign of Queen Elizabeth II, and this Elizabeth I was unbelievable, punched huge holes in history. I'm with Anthony Medera. You're listening to Blind History. What do you think of her? I love her. Incredible story. Obviously, it skipped a few. Henry VIII's charisma and all that he had, the good parts of him skipped the son and Edward and skipped Mary, Mary I. Yeah, Mary was probably quite a poisonous person. (laughs) And in Elizabeth, but it didn't skip Elizabeth. And if you think about it, I mean, she was incredible. And also during Mary's volatile tenure, she fitted in. She didn't push the buttons. She went to mass, although she was a Protestant like her dad. She played the game politically. Yeah, she tried very, very much to fit in where she realized she didn't have the power to do anything else. So I loved her, Gareth. One of the best monarchs. Yeah, she was also just an extraordinarily powerful woman at a time where there weren't a lot of women who were powerful. And if they were, they had to shut up about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, She got to live. She got to be the person she wanted to be, and she didn't need any man to make her whole. And very strategic. You know, she didn't want the complication of her husband Mm -hmm. because if it came from her court – then, you know, what impression does it do in the court? Jealousy, et cetera. Or she, and she didn't want to get a husband from some other country because then what does it mean? She's going to put her country under threat. So she was very strategic. She loved England. She was really all for the, for the kingdom. Well, she comes from the house of Tudor, and you already mentioned her father. She inherited his uh, appearance in that she had the red hair and she was tall and she's quite statuesque, and in her youth, she was quite beautiful too. But she was two and a half when her mother had her head cut off. Um, remember, Henry VIII, her father, had married Anne Boleyn, her mother, because she'd been this beautiful woman in court. He divorced his wife, Catherine of Aragon, against the wishes of the Catholic Church and actually separated from the Catholic Church, creating the Anglican Church just so he could be with Elizabeth's mother, Anne Boleyn, who then married him. And their marriage lasted for a very short time, and she eventually lost her head, and poor little Elizabeth, two and a half years old, without a mum, and with a dad who then was regretting his decision to marry her mother, and regretting her being in existence. So she was the first fruit of the Anglican tree, but she was also declared illegitimate in her first three years. Uh, she was a symbol of, of great hatred to Catholics because she was the cause of, of a break between the mother church and the father of, of the nation, the king. And from there on, her life really was very complicated. So she had to play a game of survivor at every step of the way from there on in. She did that very well. She was very strict on the Ag- Anglican side and mass was disallowed. 
So a lot of the strong, loud-mouthed Catholics went into exile. But continuously, for many, many years, they said she was illegitimate. And they kept pushing Mary, Queen of Scots. Finally, Elizabeth had to behead her, but you could see she fought very hard not to. No, well, let's save that because that's a yeah. grisly story yeah, no, that all is. on its but own. To your point, she's a survivor. She's a yeah. genuinely survivor. There was a lot going on in, in right throughout her, her career. And, and she also went to battle. And she won a, a fierce battle, which is very, very important against the Spanish. And that really put her into folklore. That really just elevated her to be one of the great monarchs of, of English history. We know a lot about her because there were a lot of great authors and playwrights who lived in her time. Shakespeare and Marlowe are the most Im- important here. And we have a lot of stories that came out of her court. I mean, she was quite mischievous. She was uh, playful. She was also intensely jealous of attention, a lot like her father. So there was a lot of ego there too. Um, I remember that, that one of the stories that that people would tell is that all the women in her court were required to wear just black and white, but she could wear all the colors and all the jewels. So she was very easily put out if any of them got more attention than her from any of the men in court. And she used to constantly say, I'm married to all of you, to her parliament and to her ministers. And she would, she would flirt with them. And then if they got too flirty in return, she'd smack them down again. So it was a power play the whole time. And she used her femininity and her wiliness, and she was supremely intelligent too, to just keep people doing the maximum for her without her having to do anything for them in return. She did have men in her life, um, and she did consider marriage a number of times. She considered marrying the French Duc d'Anjou. She considered marrying uh, a Spanish prince. She considered marrying some Germans, but none of them really did it for her, and she, she decided eventually to marry England. And when the Duc d'Anjou, who was her last real serious contender for marriage, left on a boat down the Thames, she's reported to have said, there, now you have me all to yourself and turn to face England. I mean, it's it's a beautiful story. We don't yeah. know if it's true. Look, uh, do we believe she was the virgin that everybody says she was? Well, there's a lot of speculation about that. She had two serious favorites in court. The first was was the... Earl of Leicester, who was a real friend to her and whom she admired right to the end. And she's su- supposed to have mourned him for a very long time after he died. He cared for her. He looked after her. He protected her from actual assassination attempts. Um, he went to war for her. He did everything he could to win her over. But she always kept him slightly at an arm's length. So if the if the mythology is to be believed, she never really... Gave in to him from a passionate, loving point of view. Um, and she probably was like that because she never knew who she could trust. She never really had a mom. She viewed her dad as this terrifying megalomaniac god emperor um, who she admired tremendously and had great respect for, but wasn't, you know, she was never loved by him. Um, she couldn't trust her own brother and sister, both of whom in various ways tried to have her put to death. So maybe she just never trusted anyone enough to let them that close to her. And her second admirer or favorite was the Earl of Essex, who was a much younger man. And she was quite infatuated with him. And she would kiss him in court and things like that. But she never was alone with him at night. He was quite impetuous. Oh, yeah. I mean, she eventually had to have him beheaded. Mm. 
but also that was possibly because he was trying to rise up against her in some way. No, no in very obvious ways, he actually caused a, a civil disobedience and led troops to the palace to kill her minister, Burley. Sure. But so she said, no, thank you, not anymore, and off with his head. But he also, um, what, what happened, he, 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 it was quite difficult to control him and old Essex. And what he did was he stormed into her chambers. And, you know, nobody was allowed to see her except her chambermates. Well, without her makeup and her dress. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the point is, yeah, it, t- it took her four hours to get ready in, um, in the mornings. So, and especially when Essex was around, that was when she was already in her 60s. Mm. So she was a much older woman by that stage. And what she'd done already from the early years is she put this, this white lead, is a name for it, um, that she used to put on her face to give her face that allure of being pure and white and different types of chemicals on her lips to keep them red. These, they sucked all the moisture out of you and it really made you gray and haggard quicker than, than normal. It was poisonous. Yeah, well. it was yeah. poisonous. Yeah. And because he didn't really care, you know, too much about rules, he stormed into her chambers before she'd actually got dressed, her chambermaids, and he saw her. And uh, he obviously cucked himself. That's not what's written. But <laughs> she must have been frightening. Yeah. So he I went. Mean, the portraits of her, which aren't very flattering, and the Tudors were quite famous for saying, "Paint me as I am." Mm. And there are portraits of hers that have been changed subsequent to her death by people who wanted to propagandize her image. But there are a few paintings that survive that are really not flattering. Mm. Well, he said his exact words secretly, but she found out that she looked like a crooked carcass. Mm. So, <laughs> mm. most of these cosmetics did do damage to her skin. Ceruse was corrosive. Um, these women who used it about their faces, says a source, do quickly become withered and grey-headed because this doth so mightily dry up the natural moisture of the flesh. To your point, you mentioned Mary Queen of Scots earlier, and she had this kind of sibling rivalry with Mary Queen of Scots. Mary Queen of Scots had married the French king. So she had been Queen of France, and then she had married the Scottish King and had been Queen of Scotland. She produced with the Scottish King a a son called uh, James, who would eventually become Elizabeth's heir. But Elizabeth never spoke of the succession and refused to countenance her own death. So she would never really speak to James. But she, she, she met with Mary once, and they had apparently a very loud and, and uh, fractious conversation. Mary, told Elizabeth she was her superior, and Elizabeth said, you don't know what you're talking about. She was already Elizabeth's captive at the time. And she had to make this really difficult call of executing Mary, who was the the center of so much opposition to her. And she had a guy called Walsingham in her court who was like her spy master, and Walsingham had warned her that Mary, Queen of Scots, was the lightning rod for people who didn't like Elizabeth. And so instead of actually signing the death warrant, Publicly, she signed it and told one of her servants to just keep it. And the servant went and and gave it to the council. And the council then realized that what she was trying to do was to get them to sign the death warrants, that she wouldn't personally have to be blamed because she was killing her cousin. Mm. And there'd been enough beheadings in her time. And Mary, Queen of Scots, beheading was horrible because the executioner missed and hit the back of her head first. And then had to take a second stroke. Oh, sure, that's horrible. Yeah, and cut oh. the neck. And then there was still a bit of gristle, so he had to go a third time. <laughs> and the head rolled off the scaffold, and he picked it up, not knowing she wore a wig. The wig <laughs> remained in his hand, and no. this 
withered little head rolled down with very short gray hair and the mythology of Mary Queen of Scots was shattered in oh. that moment. Horrible story. One of the ugliest executions in English history. The big thing with all these Catholics that were exiled was that she was Catholic, staunch Catholic, and they believed she was a rightful heir. She was actually Henry's sister's daughter. Yes, that's right. So there was definitely lineage there. So a lot of the battles often in those times is from a religious background. Well, it's interesting that none of – there's nobody alive today who can claim to be descended from King Henry VIII, certainly not legitimately, because none of his children had children. So the Tudor line effectively died out with Elizabeth I, and all subsequent monarchs and all other people who claim descent from the Tudors either have to claim illegitimate descent, because Henry is supposed to have had some illegitimate children, although that's also conjectural, and if not them, through the Stuarts, which was Mary, Queen of Scots. Mm. So the current queen and anyone else who can claim descent from Henry VII, Henry VIII's father, has to claim it through Mary, Queen of Scots, or Margaret, her mother's younger sister, Mary, who was uh, married to the Duke of Suffolk. And uh, Elizabeth, she never spoke about her mom, mm. but that was it seemed to have been politically driven or because her dad, Henry VIII, had really painted a quite a dark picture of her being a whore, and that was the reason for the divorce and the beheading, etc. But she wore a locket with a picture of her mom. And she carried that around with her. So obviously her mom really meant something to her. But she never outwardly displayed it. She outwardly showed respect for her father and what had he done. Exactly what you said earlier. She admired him. Well, she's supposed to have made that very famous speech at the at the beachhead after the Armada was defeated. Or just before the Armada. And it was likely that the Spanish would land and the Duke of Parma was going to, to engage in battle against her while Sir Francis Drake was fighting the Spanish Armada in the Channel, and which he'd roundly defeated subsequent to this. But she made this famous speech, which they quote verbatim. My loving people, we have been persuaded by some that are careful of our safety to take heed how we commit ourselves to armed multitudes for fear of treachery. But I assure you, I do not desire to live to distrust my faithful and loving people. I know... I have the body but of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king, and of a king of England too, and think foul scorn that Parma or Spain or any prince of Europe should dare to invade the borders of my realm. And apparently after that, there wasn't a man in England who wouldn't fight for her. Yeah, that was incredible. That was a big turning point. But you know that, that the Spanish basically got every ship that could float and sent that across. You know, that looked ominous for England. It really looked ominous. The chances of the Spanish overthrowing them was very, very real. Obviously, Francis Drake and, and Sir John Hawkins. Hawkins. Yeah, they were just phenomenal. They had smaller ships, so they were much faster. Yeah. The Spanish had these huge galleons. And with deeper drafts, which didn't help them, to, especially when you start having to navigate in through the channel coming into to the, the, the shallower areas. Wasn't that also the beginning, really, of English naval supremacy? I think it definitely was, because at that, previous to that, it was definitely out of Europe. And that really put her as, as the greatest monarch. So to round off Elizabeth's story, she died at 70 years old. She had an enormously long reign, 44 years, which brought massive stability to England. She was succeeded by her second cousin, James I of England, the sixth of Scotland, whose mother was Mary, Queen of Scots, in a twist of irony. And that was the end of the House of Tudor. 
But when she died, she was buried on top of, her coffin was put on top of her sister Mary's coffin. I think she asked for that. In the same vault, the same tomb. And uh, you can go and see her marble effigy in Westminster Abbey Mm. today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Blind History, brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. This is CliffCentral.com.